Good morning, good evening, everybody, wherever you are. I'm Brian, and welcome to episode 15 of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our mobile Cloudcast studios outside Chicago, Illinois, tonight, and we're happy to announce we won't have to raise the debt ceiling to produce tonight's show. Uh, we have some co-hosts, good news and bad news tonight. The bad news is Aaron's on vacation. The good news is, call down to the bullpen, Joe Onisic's going to be joining us, throwing 100 miles an hour of knowledge and sarcasm. So, Joe, how's it going tonight? It's going fantastic. Thanks, Brian. How you doing? Good. Glad to have you back on. Our first guest has a 20-year-old Pappy Van Winkle on tap in his office. He buys his barbecue by the pig. And in 2008, was off getting the cloud.com domain while the rest of you guys were off collateralizing your debt obligations. He is the most interesting man in the cloud. Please welcome Peter Ulander. Hey, Peter. How are you tonight? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks, guys, for having me. Thanks for coming on, and uh, thanks for fighting through uh, a cough that uh, you've been dealing with for a while. You know, it's all the stress. <laughs> So before we get into anything uh, with where you're at today, so for anybody who uh, doesn't know Peter, and if you're in the cloud space, we'd be surprised, but Peter's the former CMO of cloud.com, now with right. Citrix. So what's your uh, what's your official title gig at Citrix going to be? Sure. So I'm, I'm now the vice president of product marketing for the cloud platforms group. So what that means is I continue my responsibility of marketing over the cloud.com technologies. Um, I'm also now responsible for Zen Server, uh, cloudstack.org. Zen.org, as well as Project Olympus, so all of the OpenStack stuff at Citrix. Very cool. So you've got control of everything, which is which is good, because Citrix has a, a bunch of very cool toys and assets, and the trick, I think, has always been, how do you put them together and make them seem like they're all one solution? So, oh, absolutely. So before we get into Citrix, or the acquisitions, where was Cloud.com, I don't know, just even a couple of months ago, in terms of customers, number of downloads, you know, how yeah. many iterations of CloudStack has been out there? Funny enough, I just... I just um, put together a quick report on all of this stuff. So a couple of months ago, we kind of hit our, our stride. We're, we're about 60, 60 or so customers. They still range probably about 70% public, uh, public cloud providers, 30% private clouds. And I think we got a bunch of names out there with regards to uh, some of our customers, ranging from the GoDaddies, the, uh, the Zynga's, the admins.com, Tata Communications, KT. So really spread all over the place. Geographically, I think we were probably split 45% Japan, 40, or Asia, I guess, so uh, Japan and, and Korea, 45% the U.S., and uh, the last 10% Europe. Probably about, you know, real downloads, so so completely downloaded, uh, hooked back up and registered somewhere around 30,000 since since uh, opening this thing up about 12 months ago. And, you know, we were, we were just piling things on. Things were, things were going well. I think, in, in fact, in our, our community, I can't remember the last, the last number in our community, but the CloudStack community, we're, we're pushing somewhere around eight to 10,000 active members. So not just signups, but people that were actually participating in our forums and our, in our chats. Wow, that's a, that's a big number. So, yeah. like, for example, when the guys from Eucalyptus, not to sort of compare you guys against anybody, but, you know, we've heard them say, oh, we, we've got a million clouds <coughs> or hundreds of thousands of clouds. I mean, 30,000 is a huge number, even if it's people kicking the tires and stuff. So, I mean, some of those numbers that we hear people kicking around are, are, are very, very realistic. Um, yeah. That's, that's cool. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, so Eucalyptus, they've been around for a long time, and I think they have the benefit of being um, in the canonical distribution of, uh, of Ubuntu. So I think they definitely had some broad reach. And I think, you know, just the, the general roots of where they were, they had a fairly strong user base. I think one of the things that we focused on, you know, from the start, you know, partially in the developer, but more so on the user side. And I think that that's seen all the way through the, the fit and polish of everything that we delivered all the way through the user experience, right? It was really designed so that you could go beyond just 
the initial development of a small-scale cloud, but actually take this into um, uh, broader deployment. One of the interesting things in our, uh, from our open source perspective is we saw a lot of traction from companies that never, you know, to, to this day, we're probably just starting commercial engagements with them. So like NBC Universal or FT Orange, these guys were active members in our community building clouds. They clearly had a fairly large um, implementation in place, and, and they were getting all of their support from, from our community. So for folks who may not know, you guys have both an open source version of cloud.com, CloudStack, and then you've got a, you know, sort of for fee supported, fully supported. Can you talk for a second? Because there's always different kind of variations on, you know, what it takes to run an open source, semi-open source business. What, what does that look like in terms of financial models or conversion rates? How many people go from starting with yeah. the open source to, to working through the community to, to coming to you guys for something that, that drives revenue? You, you know, it's funny. This is, um, shoot, this is my fourth open source business, right? I, I, I've, I've always been focused on business or user-led open source projects. So whether it was CloudStack, um, I was part of MontaVista, Linux. I'm the guy, you know, for better or for worse, that open sourced uh, Java and Solaris over at Sun, uh, as, as well as part of, part of Cobalt Networks. We built open source uh, server appliances. There, there's a significant difference between user-led programs and developer-led programs. And I think the ratios also change. Developer-led, you want massive, massive, massive downloads, and you're going to get a small fraction of those that convert. I think when it when you start on, on user-led, things that people are actually putting into production, you actually don't need to drive as much of the, the, the downloads outside of just driving general awareness and, and base footprint, but you really start targeting those customers that want to take it into production. And even those that get started in an open source business ultimately will want to move to production uh, when they go live with a product. And that's very very much the case in a service provider segment or in an IT services model because at the end of the day, you know, betting their entire business on this product. So I think one of the things that set us apart from many of the other open source guys in the cloud space is rather than going crippleware, where we would basically deliver an open source project that had nothing to do with our commercial product, our commercial and our open source stuff was literally the same. We, we removed some usage metering and some billing pieces, but essentially because we had the same products out there, it was actually very easy to get that conversion from open source to production. Um, and then it's just about engaging the customer at the right levels. And then the underlying technology, what was what was CloudStack built on? I mean, where did sure. uh, where, where did it come from? You know, what did you guys focus on in terms of, like you said, you pulled some things out. Yeah. How did you decide what to build? So interesting story with regards to how we were founded. So about two and a half years ago, long before I ever got there, Shen Liang, our founder, he got together with four other guys and sat and basically said, listen, this whole cloud computing space is taking off. It's clear that there's a lot of businesses that are going to want a standard cloud platform uh, so they can either go build an Amazon on-premise or a service provider can build an Amazon to go compete with Amazon. They actually started by looking at the number of cloud computing technologies in the open source space. So they looked at Eucalyptus, and this is before they were a commercial project. They looked at, what was that, the Open Nebula guys. They looked at a number of different pieces that they wanted to use for their own baseline, and then decided that the challenge that each and every one of those faced was they were still based on legacy enterprise stuff, whether it was classic server virtualization with um, clusters for scale or for management, or really improper um, management architectures designed more for, for smaller scales. So they decided 
effectively built this thing from scratch. Okay. Um, start, starting even with Zen.org, they started with the uh, open source Zen hypervisor and wrote a bunch of modifications and created what they called a uh, multi-tenant hypervisor. So the whole thing from soup to nuts was predominantly homegrown based on a lot of the technologies that Shen and team had learned from their experience in the service provider segment when they were building technologies at 7 and OpenWave and at Sun. Now, the technology itself was also written in Java uh, and Ajax, and a lot of that comes from Shen's background. He's actually the original creator of the Java virtual machine. So a lot of that stuff kind of built into it. He built a very lightweight architecture that was designed for massive scale, multi-tenancy, and, and really a kind of lightweight management so that you could actually have a single sysadmin over, over thousands of boxes. Over time, it changed a little bit. We decided that we would um, support major hypervisors and abstract up stack a little bit, work closer with companies like Citrix to um, drive things into uh, Zen Server. But ultimately, the, the, the majority of the stuff outside of a few libraries and components was all uh, driven driven in house. What were the uh, what were the major problems you were looking at with the way people were doing it? You, you, you said some of the original products that were there. What were the issues with the way they were doing it that you're alleviating or that you're, you're... so? I mean, one example is you you take a look at uh, Eucalyptus, for example, when they first were launched, they basically followed or you were required to basically put a rocks cluster in place in order to build this thing out. Well, with classic clustering technologies, for every thirty boxes, you have a management head, right? So as you start to scale and you think about you know our largest customer today is five thousand um, servers. Servers, do the math. You're talking about a, talking about a significant amount of, of management servers that get in there in order to run these these little uh, resource pools, if you will. Well, you've introduced massive um, management overhead. You've also introduced some serious issues with regards to being able to migrate workloads across the clusters. You've also introduced multiple points of failures into the system. So what these guys basically did was they said, okay, we're going to not look at enterprise ways, the, the, the legacy enterprise way of pooling resources. We're actually going to look at how do service providers, specifically as it relates to mobile infrastructure, scale and, and build out their architectures, which are not hindered by clusters, for example. So that was one of the things that they 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 went and looked at. They also looked at a message queuing service, right? So so for how did these the how did you communicate with the individual hosts? One that didn't require a lot of pass through uh, in order to 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 go kind of build out the system. And what ends up happening is by doing so, you actually have almost a little bit of um, autonomic kind of functionality built into the into the cloud. So for example, if resource pools went down in our system, and we just basically the way we pool them is you know it's a it, it's a standard switch server storage uh, device becomes a pod, and you can put as many of those in a, in a data center as you want. You can actually scale across multiple data centers. If any of those workloads went down, it was easy to move workloads over for high availability. Or in the case if the uh, management server went down, there wasn't such a dependency on that management server that the actual resource pools would continue to run with the applications in it while you basically brought that server back up. So there's a lot of things around resiliency um, and availability built into the cloud. So it's kind of like skipping skipping the idea of let's take what enterprise is doing and go to the next step. And instead of doing that, you're, you just went with the end game. What are we really trying to do? Start there and move backwards? It's exactly what it was. It was um, classic enterprise scale doesn't work in, in the service provider in the cloud. And when you looked at actually the architectures that Google and Amazon and Facebook had, they were very, very lightweight. They were based on horizontal scaled devices. And you, you removed a lot of the complexity. I mean, complexity is good in enterprise apps, especially with, you know, when, when you're looking at multi-tiered applications that have, you know, all types of plays in the enterprise. But for classic cloud workloads, which tend to be lighter weight, it wasn't necessary. 
Cloud.com was going on for a couple of years. You guys have got a bunch of customers. Were you competing more with, you know, sort of the, the traditional people trying to build up from virtualization? So, you know, they were doing it, say, with, with VMware or something. Or were your customers, you know, especially the service provider ones, were they sort of looking at somebody like Amazon or AWS or Rackspace as, as more of their competition and you were giving them something that was as flexible, you know, more flexible, more manageable, at least as scalable? What, what direction were, were the customers you were dealing with going in? They were all over the place. Funny because I think in the last year, there's been such a dynamic change in all of the ways the, the customers engaged with us, their problems, their, their ideas and where they were going. I think when we first started, so um, I'm going to switch from water to beer here in two seconds. Maybe that'll help. There you go. Uh, so when we first started, we made a conscious decision to go after service providers because for most of them, their customers were leaving their managed hosted offerings or their uh, virtual hosted offerings and looking for cloud options. And they didn't necessarily have them. I think when Amazon first launched, and if you think about it, Amazon launched at the same time, GoGrid, Joint, uh, Sun Network, what was it, Network.com and all of these other things. Some of them made it, some of them didn't. And I don't think that the service providers took it serious as something that was going to be a threat to their business. By the time they looked up and realized their customers were leaving, they recognized that they needed a solution as fast as possible. And to just come out with something that offered the ability to spin up virtual servers was table stakes. It wasn't differentiating and it wasn't, it wasn't value added. So they were looking for someone to come in with a uh, platform that would help them get to the cloud as fast as possible with the ability to differentiate, kind of set their, their, their mark. And I think that's really been the primary driver for our early adopters. Now, from a competitive perspective, they were looking to compete with Amazon or to preempt Amazon coming from or coming into their, their space. You know, as, as I mentioned, we had a couple of big wins in Korea and, and, and in India where, where Amazon didn't exist. So so that was the, the customer profile from um, the competitive space. We were across the board. We competed with, you know, the classic VMwares, BMCs and big enterprise and service, <laughs> service provider players to some of the new guys, right? Eucalyptus showed up all the time in a number of deals that we were in. And I think, you know, ultimately we won because we were able to prove scale. We were able to be customized. We were open source and we focused on that end user experience. Very cool. So do you actually have any of your customers today who run, it's the cloud stack, but they actually run it on Amazon's infrastructure? Has anybody gone that far to say, I, I love the control, but I'm even going to, I'm going to sort of even abstract the infrastructure further? Or, or are they kind of like, no, 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 this is my business. I'm not running it on top of my competitor's business. I'm not knowledgeable of anyone actually running our stuff on Amazon. I think for a proof of concept, we had a couple of people do it. But what we do have is a lot of people that are federating with Amazon as, as okay. part of their business offering. So when you look at like a uh, DreamHost or you, you look at um, ColoCube or groups like that, you'll see them actually federate either within Amazon or work within, uh, say, Equinix to offer broader services. Um, and some of these guys are actually looking at offering white box cloud hosting services to some of the smaller players in the space. Can you walk us through the Citrix acquisition? Because I know we had Christian Riley on, I don't know, maybe a month or so, maybe six weeks ago or so. Sure. And, uh, and offline, you know, we were talking and, and he was saying, you know, guys, I, I really have this startup itch that I'm trying to scratch and I'm, I've been talking to some people and then a few weeks later we find out Christian went over and joined you guys at cloud.com and it was like, oh, very cool, you know, he's doing it, you're getting a great guy because he's obviously got a ton of experience and he can speak to what the product does. Right. And then like literally over the weekend, boom, you guys get acquired by Citrix. How, how yeah, long we, had that been in the works and what's sure, the, what sure. was the process for that? We really pulled the rug out from under Christian, didn't we? <laughs> 
for so did, so did he have any idea did he know coming over that this other stuff was going on or could he not know anything because of acquisition rules and so forth he didn't know what was going on well he knew before the world knew only in the sense that we were working towards a definitive agreement and you know ultimately before he signed or like literally the, when he decided he was signing so he'd already made his decision we had to basically say well there's going to be a little catch on this because of all the things associated with it we wanted to make sure that he did know everything up front yeah. Yep. So, but he had to make the decision on his own before we brought him into the fold and let him know those those specifics. The the, the deal itself, it's interesting. We've been working with Citrix for literally since we started. Yeah. So, literally since we started, I, you know, as I mentioned, we we work closely with Zen.org on the hypervisor technology. It was the foundation for how we kind of grew. And throughout the last couple of years, you know, whether it was uh, introduction to customers, getting us engaged in OpenStack. Um, having us kind of work with them on some of the, the optimizations we could do within their, their hypervisor. We've always had a strong relationship with Citrix, and we shared a lot of customers. I think you know a good percentage, uh, majority percentage of our customers are actually running on Zen Server. So I don't want to say it was completely out of the blue, but it also it came at a time when I think we were trying to figure out, well, we, we were just trying to figure out where our next customer was coming from, right, and how we just continued to grow. And it took a little bit of prodding, I think, from Citrix, to say, hey guys, you know, this is one of those one plus one equals three. Um, we can really go make a big difference here. And it wasn't so much that it was Citrix and, you know, here we, it wasn't one of those things where it was, uh, hey, we're Citrix and we want to take you out. But it was really kind of talking about that joint vision of saying, look, this is about figuring out how we're going to build clouds the way that big guys do. They're all using uh, Zen-based technology. Many of them are using NetScaler, and we've just done some really cool things with uh, the, you know, on, on the virtualization side with regards to um, NetScaler and the CloudBridge and the likes. You know, Cloud.com was kind of demonstrating the function and the foundation for many of these large clouds. So it really came down to, I think, you know, Citrix wanted to get get a stronger position. They wanted to pull in a team that could help lead them into the cloud. And and you know, when we started talking to them a few months back. I think we were a little skeptical and then it just it turned into a no-brainer for us just to say this is uh you know when you look at everything you want to do as a startup you you don't want to plan for an exit you don't want to build towards an exit right you want to build a business but when 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 the exit starts to come around you want to take a look at who are the suitors and who do you think you want to go be part of and i think you know from a very early stage even before some of these these talks started it was it was very clear that citrix is probably the best place for us to land so what what is the 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 Real, is, is that what it, Citrix is looking at for cloud.com is, is for you to pull them further into the public cloud and give them a bigger name? Because they've been the darling of, of the stock market for a while, but they've slipped off. Is that is that really the re-influx that cloud.com is going to give them? They, they've been the darling of the stock market for a lot of the activities that they've, um, they've, they've done in the desktop business. I think you know the, their cloud element, while they've done a phenomenal job with Zen Server and NetScaler, it's kind of been in the shadow of a lot of the desktop. And I think they, they know that at the time to take advantage of the cloud and be that, that major provider of cloud infrastructure technologies is now, especially, you know, with some of the movements in VMware and some of the other, some of the other players out there. So absolutely. Um, and in fact, when you, you look at how we're being integrated into, into Citrix, I mentioned my role where I'm running um, not only cloud.com, but all of those other pieces. Shen, uh, our, our founder, he's the CTO of the entire division. Shannon, our head of sales, he's going to be driving um, the sales overlay for all cloud activities inside of Citrix. Uh, and Kevin is taking on, he's our VP of engineering, he's taking on an executive role driving a lot of the engineering efforts around the cloud. So I think that kind of demonstrates their commitment to bringing us in to really help push them forward with the cloud as a business. 
and taking what we're doing coupled with where the position is on Zen Server, coupled with um, where they are with um, with Netscaler and some of the, the new opportunities there, the hope is to kind of pull these businesses out from the shadow of, of the desktop and demonstrate that there's a couple of other billion-dollar businesses in the wings inside of Citrix. Yeah, that's great. Plus, they get that uh, that cloud.com URL that some genius bought. Yeah, who 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 would have thought that was? You know what? That I will tell you, as the sole marketing guy at, at Cloud.com for the longest time, that was genius because you know I'm lazy and not having to figure out a massive brand strategy or an SEO strategy, you just go buy a URL like that and it's all taken care of for you. Can't beat it. So now that you've got, that, I mean, you're, you're gonna you're gonna be driving the marketing, the messaging, the kind of strategy for that. What do you think left them or left that part of the business in the shadows? I mean, obviously, yeah, they've got you know, a humongous, I don't want to call it legacy, but I mean, their, their DNA, you know, grew up around delivering applications and desktop and Metaframe and so forth. But it's, you know, it's not as if, you know, Zen Server is a, is a brand new product. What do you think, or what have you found so far that you know, they, they just couldn't get that right thing to sort of bring it to the surface as to, to what it was as an asset and a technology and so forth? You know, I, I don't want to say that they, they didn't execute because I think they executed like heck. You know, you, know you, you look at where Zen Server is today in all of the public clouds and in, in, in some of the private clouds out there. I think it, it, it manages, you know, 70, 80 percent of most public clouds out there, or, or it's at least the, the hypervisor of choice for a number of clouds out there. Right. And in the same sense, you look at the, the massive footprint that Netscaler has. The reality is these are piece parts, right? If you want to build a cloud on top of Zen, you have a long way to go with regards to resource management, APIs, user interfaces, application catalogs, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, that was one of the things that I think cloud.com capitalized very early on in the space was that we went and figured out what does the whole package look like? How can we walk in and get a service provider up and running, full production, customer-ready cloud in literally less than 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 a quarter or two? You don't get that when you have individual piece parts. I think even VMware struggles with this today. You know, as as they're coming in with some great foundations, but there's so much additional work and costs that go into the stuff on top of it that you, it still takes time to get there. So I I think when when you look at that addition to the the portfolio that Citrix has, we now become a position that gives a great foundation, not at the, the hypervisor level, but at that cloud infrastructure platform. And, you know, starting day one, service providers or enterprises can start working on what's important to them with regards to either how they differentiate or how they want to go implement. Citrix was a very early supporter of OpenStack. They went uh, as far as to announce Project Olympus, which was, I believe, is still sort of their intention to be a OpenStack distribution a couple months back. Now they've also got a cloud stack. You've You've at least made some public statements that you will support or have interoperability with OpenStack. How, how do all those things sort of fit together? I mean, if, right. if you're explaining that, that picture to people, you know, it wouldn't be hard to go, gosh, it, it feels like there's certain places where there's overlap. And like, right. what does that all look like? And I think, you know, from the beginning, I think we, we've all been very clear. There is overlap. There, there's, there's no question about it. The, the, the end goal of OpenStack with regards to providing an open framework for, you know, essentially a cloud computing platform. It was right a year ago, continues to gain momentum today. It's an exciting project to be part of. And I think, you know, the unfortunate thing for us back a year ago was that it started a year after we had already built our own distribution. There's actually a significant 
difference in where we basically, well, so I guess, I guess what, when I say there's overlap, there's only overlap in about 40% of the deliverable and another 60% is around, you know, a bunch of different other functionalities and technologies that enable you to actually run and operate a cloud. And so I think, you know, from before when we were independent, the goal was to do the same thing that we did with regards to our hypervisor strategy, right? At first we were going to build it ourselves. When this stuff hit mainstream and was mature, we would adopt that as our core platform and continue to innovate up the stack. That's still the plan. And short of that being the case this year, there are lots of things we can do with regards to driving interoperability. First off, you know, having the same uh, cloud-optimized hypervisor and Zen server is going to be absolutely critical. Um, and delivering OpenStack on top of that is something that, that Citrix can do. Um, two, having <coughs> API compatibility in between CloudStack and OpenStack so that whether it's our management framework or our portal framework can actually allow these, the, these two various compute engines to actually interoperate and share workloads. And I think over time, this stuff basically merges into, into one distribution. And at the same time, behind the scenes... You know, there, that, that remaining 40% or excuse me, 60% where there isn't overlap, we're going to be able to identify a lot of lessons learned and technology, you know, technology assets that we have and actually push it back into the OpenStack community. So I think there's a lot of things that we're doing. It's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a, a, a moving target, but um, all really based on <coughs> making sure that we continue to deliver an, an open source cloud framework for, for our customers with the best experience and, you know, the highest level of success. Now, Joe, you're out. I mean, you're out talking to people all day, all day long. You talk to various customers in different segments of the market. Are you are you seeing people ask much about OpenStack? Are you seeing people play around much with it in the labs, or are you still seeing a lot of the more traditional stuff? You don't get me too far off my game, Brian. I'm, I'm trying to protect. <laughs> I'm pushing it in and, and selling infrastructure here. I have a business to build around this, right? I know. I know. Well, I'm just I, I'm curious because I you know one of the things I was going to ask Peter but I'll you know I'll let you finish is how often are, do you see people sort of do their homework pick one put that in their pro- proof of concept or do you see them run sort of multiple proofs of concepts at the same time so that's that's kind of what I'm curious about is how much do are we still kind of in people drag racing proof of concepts against each other or you know what what do you guys see what's what are you hearing from people. In this particular space, from my perspective, I see a lot less of the the bake-offs you would have seen in the traditional IT infrastructure, like the infrastructure space. There's a lot less dual proof-of-concepts going on at the same time because there's just not enough time, there's not enough resources to to devote it to. So people are doing a whole lot more of their homework. They're taking the time to figure out which one they really want to see and then doing a kind of succeed-or-fail type proof-of-concept. Uh, and this is one of those products that they're doing it all. Okay, and is that pretty pretty common what you see, Peter? Yeah, you know, it's there's there's definitely not so much of the um, bake offs. I think you know we have had our fair share of bake offs and some of the customers that we have, but I think for the most part, I, I don't want to make it sound trivial um, because the technology is hard. But at the end of the day, this isn't really a technology problem for a lot of the customers. It is actually an engagement problem, and they're learning just as fast as they're getting the, 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 the technology in place. So while technology plays a certain piece of the, of the, of the puzzle, there's actually more that goes into the trust uh, and the understanding of the people that are delivering this and the people that are helping them get engaged with the cloud are actually experts in the field. And we actually see that playing a higher value, um, these type of, of, or in customer decisions, right? They, they want to have a longstanding relationship with a vendor that is not only innovating, but also will help them or that they can kind of play a trusted advisor as they start making their way into the cloud. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. And that, and that aligns to a lot of the stuff you've been writing about lately, Joe, right? It's a lot more organizational than it is purely technology. Yep. And that's the, 
that's exactly what I've been focusing on lately. Peter, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hit you with one more because we're, we're sort of running up against the, the uh, amount of time that people care to listen to us, and I know your cough is, is, uh, is getting you. So one last thing, and this is unfortunately not a super simple question, but tons of people do an OpenStack these days, right? So yep. Citrix, obviously, Dell just made a big announcement, sort of formalized announcement. Cisco's been dabbling in spaces, HP, a bunch of startups. You know, having been in the open source community, been through the Linux, sort of all the distributions, does that create too much confusion for customers or, or does that actually a really good opportunity for you guys because you can go look if you want the OpenStack sort of distribution side of things great if you want you know something that today just flat out works and it's open source CloudStack's a thing I mean what if it, like if you're a customer and you're looking at you know you probably have a bunch of different vendors in your shop uh, how much confusion does that create for them in terms of you know is this going to be proprietary are they going to fork this off to be their own and how am I going to move stuff I think there's um so, so, so there's two comparisons that we can draw to that I think customers are, are looking at, right? You got the, the, the era of the Linux distros when it was Red Hat, SUSE, Mad Dog, Yellow Dog, you know, you name it, Linux right. out there. And, you know, the reality was we ended up with two. And a lot of that had to deal with fragmentation, lack of support, lack of monetization, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I, I do sometimes get customers going, you know, is this where this is headed? And if that's the case, I'm going to go with the guys that have all the customers and are clearly set up to be the red hat of the cloud. And that, that definitely is a, is a big opportunity for us, and I think that's good. But I do think that that's probably a uh, smaller representation of the market. I actually think what OpenStack, from, a, from an experience and a hi- historical perspective, looks more like is the old Eclipse project, or I guess the Eclipse project, where you know there you had IBM and, and a whole slew of other large-name customers getting together to create a common framework for how we're going to be building and developing IDEs um, for developer environments. And I think you know, the way OpenStack is run, and I think the way all of the big customers and the, and the big partners are collaborating on this, People are expecting more of that type of behavior um, from the OpenStack participants. And in that case, we were a member from the front. One of the things we've always said is that, you know, this is about future-proofing your cloud deployment. And you can deploy on CloudStack today and move to OpenStack tomorrow as it matures. And that's what, we, that's what we've been committed to. Okay. Now, I, I got a side question to that. Um, and without naming any names, how, may, how much do you see these vendors throwing their hat in the ring because they feel that their hat should be in the ring rather than actually executing on it? Because I see a few, of these, a few of these people jumping into this thing just because they think they should be without actually contributing. So here's an exercise for you then and for, and for, for anyone who's, who's curious about this stuff, right? <laughs> because there are 74 vendors today in OpenStack and it continues to grow. If you actually go through and look at the contributor list, there's not 74 contributors to it. And I think, you know, the, the unfortunate thing that, that probably needs to get, get a li- there needs to be a little bit of a grip around is the fact that if, if you don't have all 74 companies committed or, or contributing, what do you have? Uh, if it's just if it's just a handful, you have a, a bunch of vendors that either a are are riding on the momentum and the marketing and the mindshare of OpenStack, which is phenomenally successful on a global basis, or b you got a lot of vendors that want to sell the rack space, right? And I'll sign up for your program if you buy my goods. And I think that's something that that you know ultimately 
uh, from a community perspective, Rackspace needs to needs to come to grips with, right? They need to take a look at. You know, I think that's been a shared concern, not just of, of uh, it, it's not just been my concern. It's been a shared concern of a, of a number of players in the space. Well, very cool. Um, so uh, for the sake of your cough and... Yeah, I you, apologize for No, that. no, 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 man. <laughs> you've been, you've been uh, fantastic to, to keep answering questions for us and, and going. Um, so real quick before we uh, sign off, uh, both Peter and and, uh, and Joe, for people that like following your stuff, where can they follow you on the internet or where are you guys going to be over the next couple months in terms of trade shows and stuff? I'm just at Ulander, U-L-A-N-D-E-R on Twitter or at cloud.com. I, I run both of those. I'm also going to be speaking at uh, the upcoming Interop. i got a couple of panels, one on infrastructure clouds and one I'm doing with Michael Crandell on automation and the importance of what that plays in cloud architectures. And then we'll, we'll be at all the, the traditional shows. In fact, we'll have a build a cloud day at the up, upcoming um, uh, LinuxCon uh, that we've been, we've been doing. So if you have an extra eight hours on a weekend and want to learn all about the different open source components to cloud building, um, we got that going on. Very cool. Joe, what's, uh, what's your latest set of ventures these days? So uh, still primary place to find me is definethecloud.net. Uh, I'm also found on network computing. Dot com and uh, I'll be at VMworld because I'm still an inf- infrastructure guy by paycheck. Well, for Peter and Joe, uh, we're out of time for tonight. Guys, thanks for a great discussion. For anybody listening, if you like the show, please tell a friend about us. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at thecloudcastnet or you can reach us at thecloudcast.net on the web. Uh, you'll find links to the show, show notes. You can leave us a comment or send us an email as well as details and learn how to stream us on Stitcher. So for everybody on the show tonight, thanks, guys. And for everybody listening, thanks and have a great week. Hey, thanks, guys. Thank you both.